Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Bikes or Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, my guest is a man who needs no introduction, the one and only Ronnie Romance, a.k.a. Ultra Romance, happened to be traveling through Texas on a vacation that he's currently on, and he was nice enough to grant me an audience for a little bit of time. Him and I met up in Austin at Cycle East. I got to give them a shout out because they kept us out of the cold and the wind. They had a little storage container in the back that they turned into a an office and they made it available so we could have this chat. It's always fun. The quirky and unique places that I wind up in, interviewing people, it always adds like a little dynamic uh, that you know you can't really appreciate because this episode is audio only. Uh, there's no video, but for Ronnie and I, it was kind of a cool setting. It was a fun way to have a chat. It was an absolute pleasure to catch up with Ronnie. Uh, it's been since the fall of 2019, since the last time we spoke, and a lot's happened since then, so we had a lot to talk about. We had an absolute great chat. He is so much fun. He's so entertaining, and I absolutely loved it, and I think you will too. But before we get to that episode, let's take a moment to thank the people who made it possible, starting with our latest patrons. So this week, we'd like to thank Andy Stockman for signing up as a patron. Much appreciated, sir. And we'd like to thank Mike Christensen for increasing his monthly pledge over on Patreon. We surely do appreciate all your support. It helps me put gas in the gas tank to run around Texas and actually just all over the United States capturing these interviews. Every little bit goes a long way. And if you would like to help me produce these shows, you can find out more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. One of the advantages of being a patron is that I let you know who my next guests are going to be and give you an opportunity to ask questions. So for this episode, we got a patron question or two in there, and uh, we appreciate y'all contributing in that manner. One of my next episodes we have coming up is going to be with a physical therapist, and over on the private Patreon Facebook page, we have a nice discussion thread going on about various topics and questions that should be discussed. So if that's something that interests you or you just want to support the show, again, you can find out more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. All right, everybody. Today we have Katie Bryce, who is the CEO of Old Man Mountain Racks to talk to us today. Welcome to the show, Katie. Yeah, uh, stoked to be here. Thanks. Yeah, I'm glad you could hop on a call. So Old Man Mountain makes bike racks that are traditionally thought of as used for bike touring. What would you say to that? Yeah, so Old Man Mountain started in 1996 when we wanted to put racks on bikes that weren't made for touring, mostly mountain bikes. And at that time, it was front suspension bikes. Um, so we use racks because we like to stay out longer. We like to carry a little more gear. Sometimes, because that's putting in more miles and really pushing ourselves. Other times, we pack, you know, some luxury items, like a camp chair, to find a nice spot to hang out in the backcountry. Old Man Mountain Racks also let us ride whatever bike we want. So you don't need eyelets on your bike. You can run a full suspension bike with Old Man Mountain Racks. The racks allow us to position our gear with a low center of gravity, so we don't feel held back by the weight of our food and sleeping bag and all the gear swinging around. 
well-positioned and strapped down gear is stable and secure so we can just ride and rally whatever trails we like. Yeah, I feel that. So one thing y'all say over at Old Man Mountain is that your racks let you ride whatever bike that you want. What do you mean by that? Any bike you want. Uh, We make a full (laughs) selection of what we call fit kits. The fit kits allow you to mount the rack to the through axle on the bike at the center of the wheel. Every bike has a center of the wheel. So if you have a bike you love, but it doesn't have eyelets on it, it doesn't matter. One of our axles and the included gear that goes with it for the upper attachments and you're ready to go. Yeah, that's amazing. So what are some of the advantages of bike racks versus traditional bike packing bags? Personally, for me, I'm a small rider. I'm five feet tall, so my bikes are very small. I can't even get a water bottle on my mountain bike. So racks allow me to carry gear. Um, and bike packing has kind of been on this arc. It used to be called touring and racks and panniers were the standard. Then we came up with small seat bags, frame bags, handlebar bags, and that was for fast and light trips or credit card packing, things like that. And they work great for that when you don't need to carry much. But it kept growing and growing to try to take on longer trips and longer sections of trail and rides without resupply. So now there are all kinds of new designs trying to stop these oversized bags from swaying around and getting in the way of your dropper post, particularly with the seat bags. Really, the best solution has been here all along. Yeah, no, they really are amazing. And actually, um, my friend and I just went bikepacking for the first, well, it wasn't my first trip. It was her first trip and she's five foot two and finding a solution to fill that gap, uh, was really hard. How do you get all the stuff on your bike? And we actually got an old man mountain rack to go on the back and it really fit the bill. I mean, you're able to put way more stuff on. So, uh, proof of concept right there. They're amazing racks. And I appreciate you coming on to talk to us about them a little bit. If people want to check them out on the interweb, where should they go? www.oldmanmountain.com. That's amazing. Thank you so much for coming on today, Katie. We'll see you on the trails. All right. Thank you. In honor of having Ronnie Romance on the episode today, I also want to plug my friends over at Ombra's Sunglasses. If you follow Ronnie on Instagram or follow him on his blog or anywhere else, you'll see him wearing Ombra's. They are the sunglasses of choice for many elite athletes, ultra romance and myself included. They truly are one of the most practical pieces of gear that I have. They are super comfortable and they, they look cool too, which is important. We're going to talk a lot about aesthetic on today's episode, and Ronnie will vouch for the importance of aesthetic, and Umbra's has aesthetic out the ass. If you're not familiar with these sunglasses, what makes them unique is that they don't have the arms. They are armless sunglasses. What they have instead are little ropes or kind of like a lanyard that would wrap around your head and You really got to go to their website to see how it works. Uh, But the string attaches to the frame and then wraps around your head. It's a whole thing. But that arm that's there that's usually wedged between your ear and your skull and smushed all together by your bike helmet, when you take that away, the pain goes away too. So super functional piece of gear, but also super comfortable and they look great. What else could you ask for in a pair of sunglasses? How about this? How about a discount? 
How about $20 off your next pair of Ombra sunglasses? And to sweeten the deal, when you buy a pair, you get $20 off, but Ombra's, as a way to say thank you, will also send Bikes for Death $20. So to take advantage of this amazing deal, head over to their website at ombraz.com, use the code BOD20 at checkout, get yourself $20 off a pair of sunglasses, Send $20 to your favorite podcast and ride in style and happiness. How does that sound? All right, the bills have been paid and now it's time to get to my episode with Ronnie Romance. But first, let's have Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes for Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. Love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. chilly at Zilker Park this morning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're fucking professionals, man. Uh, so last time we chatted, you gave me shit because I didn't have the arm. So I want you to... You have to be gentle with gentle it, though. With the arm. Because it... It, yeah, that was a that was a real sticking point last time. I yeah, was like, this could have been great. This could have been a good interview. <laughs> Put it right here. Yeah, so so everybody can hear your voice. Yeah, when I was I, on Howard Stern, you know, they had all this stuff. You know. Yeah, did they have strippers too? <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that was a, a different time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Howard Stern's still going. He is. He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's somehow melded with the times. I don't know how, but. Well, we yeah, we yeah. all we all have we all, all have either to have somehow. to or or they'll cancel us. I guess <laughs> yeah, I don't right, know. Right. What kind of coffee did you get? I got an oat milk cortado, perhaps the most pretentious of all coffee drinks. <laughs> I've never even heard of it. <laughs> Half of it's in your beard at the moment. <laughs> yeah, that's where it stays. Yeah. That's yeah. That's just moisturizer. Yeah, get you that pick me up the rest of the day. Beard yeah. oil. Yeah, <laughs> just just lick on it. <laughs> uh you cool to just chat yeah um, yeah you can go right into yeah it, sure. i mean i just yeah. hit the record yeah, button yeah. i mm -hmm. you know don't want to get too formal here mm -hmm. right i course. know you dressed up for the occasion it was completely <laughs> unnecessary <laughs> yeah dry cleaned my sweaters last night in anticipation but okay i guess this isn't a video interview no <laughs> the internet's not ready to see mm. you in all your glory yeah yeah Three we got sweaters on yeah we got to temper the you know the mm -hmm. the conversation mm -hmm. a little of bit course, if if everybody was looking at you the whole time <laughs> It would be rather distracting. Yeah, right. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's good to see you again. Likewise. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you coming all the way to Austin just to chat with me. <laughs> that was, yeah, it really, yeah. it really speaks to what a big mm, deal I am. It does. A few thousand miles, but what is, what is that when you could be on bikes or death? I agree. Know? Yeah, yeah. 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 Clip that, uh, Ben, clip that and uh, we'll play it at the beginning of every episode. Good. <laughs> we got the soundbite interview over. <laughs> what are you doing here? What's, uh, yeah. What are you doing? Um, I still, I still come back. You know, I used to, li I lived here for, from like 2004 to maybe 2010 or so. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I have a, a bunch of connections here. All of my, everybody who I now am friends with, I've met in Austin somehow over those past years. 
So um, in particular, my uh, business partner and best friend, Patrick Newell with Ultra Dynamico. Um, so him and I go way back here in Austin. We were bike messengers together um, in the early 2000s. Met that way when I came out here to get a job as uh, at Gold's Gym, believe it or not. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After college, I was a... Uh, yeah, I was a personal trainer at Gold's Gym at, at uh, when they used to have it at Six in Congress. It was like a pretty happening place. It was like a, it was like a grinder meetup spot, you know. And uh, <laughs> and the managers, you know, as per our uh, how we open this, you know, when you get people to to um, you know, I've got especially then I was really clean shaven, just like a, a dolphin. You know, like a muscular <laughs> dolphin right out of college, you know, <laughs> and they hired me, uh, to, to, uh, be like the, the homosexual liaison to the, to the gold's gym, downtown Austin to, to bring in more clients. Cause that was, that was a, it was a popular spot for, for such a thing. Really? So I didn't last too, too long, but it, I met, I met some people at oil can Harry's and later on went to be an erotic dancer there. Um, that was brief, but I did that. You know? that that's a true story. <laughs> <a> true story. <laughs> <laughs> but this is how I came to Austin, you know, <laughs> Wow. Uh, early on and, um, was trying to get into bands, just trying to do whatever I could to like not work, but yeah. still live, live the life. And it, as I'm, I'm, as I'm sure anybody who was here during that time remembers, it was really inexpensive to live here. Yeah. Um, and I had been trying to move to the Bay area, um, to try and like work my way into like sweep floors at Specialized or something, like any kind of bike industry job I could get. But I was just looking at my savings and being like, I can't, I'll never be able to move there. You mm -hmm. know, and I was like, I can move to Austin right now. I got a place like in Barton Springs apartment complex for like $400 a month. And <clears throat> yeah, it was just you can't like even rent a bathroom it for $400 yeah. a month. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. It was incredible. You know, I'm sure you hear those, these stories. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, used to be, used to be, used to be, used to be, but yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really cheap here. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just would do any, any job I could, any job I could find off Craigslist or anything to, to just pay the rent and try not to as much, you know. That's so yeah, wild, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. You're a wild man. <laughs> you are a wild man. I actually, I wanted to ask you this question. Let's just get into that one now. Um, I, I'm curious, you, you said to live the life, doing whatever I could to live the life. You went to college in Colorado. Yeah. What was your degree in? My degree, the fancy term is kinesiology. Ah, okay. But, but yeah, I'm an exercise scientist. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was exercise science, like a PE teacher. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense with, yeah. with the stripping. Yeah, you Nothing know, to do with Gold's Gym. Little, but, yeah, 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 yeah. It really right. helps with stripping. It helps with stripping. Yeah, you gotta have. <laughs> gotta be Gotta have that foundation. Yeah, uh, yeah. You want a good firm foundation? Yeah, 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 I would think yeah, absolutely. Yeah, precisely. Precisely. That is so yeah. Funny, so yeah. I went to school for that and ended up getting like a figuring out that it was a little easier to make make money being a personal trainer. So yeah, did that when I got here. Yeah. And, um, but you know, it didn't, like I said, it did not last, didn't last too, too long before Patrick had a job for me at being a bike messenger downtown. So that yeah, was yeah. the dream job, which was especially yeah. then before it was all electronic, we were still making runs to the courthouses and all this other stuff. And there's only like six of us. And I still am friendly with all those guys from that era. It was just a cool time to be in Austin for sure. Yeah. It, yeah. It's still cool. Mm -hmm. it's not, yeah, it's, yeah. It, everybody's always going to talk about the good old days. So the, I'm curious, like, um, I, 
I don't know what you how you would classify yourself from an outsider's perspective. I would say successful, um, and I don't know many people who are successful who got there by accident. Um, I'm curious, what has been the driving force? Like you went out of college, you you said I'm I'm trying to live the life. What what is it that you've been kind of pursuing and obviously being intentional about? Um, yeah, you know, it, the bicycle is definitely the uh, um, the uniting force throughout all that, and it was always living the life is always like how can I how can I <laughs> in this <laughs> living the life was always been about like how you know that's what I want to do ultimately that's what that's like the honey of my day, you know, is riding, is going on that bike ride or doing something on the bike, you know? And, um, there's all sorts of other things that factor into that out, um, that's related to the bike, but outside factors like the bike build, like what the bike is, what the bike means to me, what the bike maybe means to somebody else. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, like a holistic approach to cycling. Um, and it, you know, it, as I'm sure many of the listeners have the feeling that when the bike becomes the lifestyle, it's like everything to you, you know? And so that I've always felt a very strong connection to the bicycle in that way. So, you know, it's always been about how can I work the least and ride my bike the most. And a a few times like that's crossed over into racing and like, maybe I need to get into racing and get paid to race my bike or something. And I tried that a bunch, you know, I went to Fort Lewis, um, in Durango, Colorado, the, uh, college to to ride mountain bikes, prof- try and ride mountain bikes professionally. Oh, okay. um, kind of like sight unseen from Connecticut because it was cheaper than going to a state school there. And so I, I went out to Durango and was like, I'm going to get on the Fort Lewis College mountain bike team. And they were all they still are producing all of the top pros like uh, um, yeah. like Sepp Kuss and Howard Grotz and like all these really big names in professional cycling now all came through yeah. that program in Durango. So I was like, okay, well. I could be a racer. That's like one way I can do it, get paid to ride my bike somehow. And like, how do I get into the bike industry? It's just kind of all these like outside factors that kept me from being able to do that. I think um, I'm not always the most committed when it comes to <laughs> comes to certain things. Like I've really got to enjoy it. And so I think that plays into what you said by accident. It's like, absolutely. Like, I think everything's really happened to me. I, you know, that's it, a strange way to think of it, but yeah, in many ways it is like a, you know, I've never, I've never tried to, to, it's always been something has to happen naturally for me to fall into it. Cause I don't really push against anything. I'm not like a pushy person. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, if, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen. But if it's not, then, okay, I'm going to put my energy somewhere else. Yeah. And, um, with bikes and timing with, you know, I guess we're, ta- we're already, we're talking pre-social media right now, but it was always just going places, finding the bike culture that I could maybe fit into best and, you know, learn from those folks and contribute the best I could. And, uh, there's always like that unifying, like when people are into bikes, it's like easy to talk to them. It's always been my social circle. You know, I can only socialize with people about bikes and on bikes seemingly. <laughs> and so you meet, you especially meet these now. people, especially You've really now. Cornered yeah, yourself. Yeah. <laughs> really is you, true. You can't, yeah. get out now. <laughs> you can't get out. And I never would, you know, that's the, I, I, I always, been perplexed by people who work at shops or were in the bike industry from an outsider's perspective when I was not, you know, when I was just like a, you know, in the orbit of the industry or whatever. And like looking in and being like, they don't even ride. They don't even seem to like bikes. Like they, like, I don't know what it is where you can, you know, be own or work in a bike shop and just to test bikes. Like there's something about just doing something, something you love for a living and it ruins it. Right. right. And, and um, so I've kind of always been, 
aware of that being growing up in the curmudgeon like bike shop world, you know, always being weary of that being like, okay, how do you avoid, you know, yeah. how do you avoid falling into that trap? I was actually going to ask you that question. I was curious if you've ever, because from what I can tell and from chatting with you before, like the majority of your life, the bike sickle has been a big part of your life in one form or fashion for a majority of your life. Have you ever like fallen out? Have you ever, I made the joke earlier, you've kind of boxed yourself in here, <laughs> but like, have you ever felt like trapped or, or have you always had that passion? Um, yeah, you know, from 13 was like this, the, yeah, 12 or 13 was when I started getting to like curating bicycles and finding like parts that make everything work together. And it really played to my mechanical mind and so it was like a multifaceted way to get into bikes, not only into riding them, but you're into the actual curation of the bicycle and and like how it works and how you can improve it and all the little tweaks you can do and seeing how it works. And I was just fascinated by that. And I got into um, mountain biking with some local friends of mine in Connecticut and, and there's no scene, there was no scene there or anything. It was just like us going into the woods and they all got, and when we turned 16, they all got uh, driver's licenses and got into cars because they were all, all into mechanical stuff. It was like the, you know, like the, um, um, those kind kinds of like shop kids. And so, uh, then I was left all alone. I didn't have any friends <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, um, went through, you know, recruiting others, trying to see if I could get anyone else to go out into the trails with me or whatever. But, you know, wasn't really, wasn't really happening until I got to Durango but I guess I'm digressing here a little bit. I should say I moved on in, when I moved to Austin here, I started road racing and got really serious about road racing. And we started uh, um, with the Patrick, who I do the tire company now with. We we had a, a team here called, called Team Woolly Mammoth. And we got, um, we were, we got a actually by the end of the, for about 10 years, we did that. By the end, we got a pretty good amount of funding where we didn't have to pay for our races. We were able to pay other people to ride for us and mm -hmm. had some good uh, hookups with some, with some uh, bike brands and things like that. But um, it got like so serious that I burnt out on it completely. Mm -hmm. um, and anybody who's road raced around Austin, Texas, it's tough. Like, you know, training out here, you got to ride on the feeder roads for I-35 if you want to, like, not hit a stop sign or something, uh, especially then where there wasn't much bike infrastructure to begin with. It was just a real, it's kind of, like, sap the life out of riding for me, just being being so mechanized about it and not having any... Um, yeah, especially coming from, like, Connecticut yeah, and Colorado. And Colorado, I was just like, hey, what am I doing out here? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, chip and just seal, a, like, into the wind, you yeah. know. And like Paved the jungle. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that really, uh, I remember also at that time realizing that the people that I was riding and racing with, like that they, we would get back to, um, you know, we would get back from the race or something. We'd want to meet up afterwards and it wouldn't matter if we were only like a mile or two away from wherever we were meeting up at like a coffee shop or like a place where they were getting beers or something. And they would drive there, you know, and I was like, we're just like, a, so you like live a few blocks away. I was like, well, this is not, we're not cyclists here. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> we're just out, just out there on the, on the uh, hamster wheel racing road bikes. And so, um, yeah, for a good, it didn't last long, but maybe about six months, I nearly stopped riding altogether mm. and, um, and I've, I've focused on uh, Frisbee. 
Ultimate Frisbee. Ultimate Frisbee. <laughs> I was like, okay, Frisbee, this is fun. <laughs> that is so funny. So Frisbee and, and got into trail running a little bit. Well, you, say, kind of all right, out, yeah. you say Frisbee, like, were you trying to do it professionally? Like, uh, yeah. what, were you, what were you doing for a job? I, I, mean, was, I was, well, I, I had... Um, at this point, I was working for my father on a charter fishing boat in Connecticut. Oh wow! For for like five six months out of the year, and I did this pretty consistently until about six years ago or so. I didn't. And not so know I that. could always like no matter what kind of that was a really, like a really good safety net to try my dreams or what or just try things out. I could always I always knew that I could yeah. come back. I come crawling back to dad and being like, okay, let's chop some fish up. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what do y'all do? Uh, he owns his own boat. Like what? Yeah. For nearly for 45 years now, he's been a, he's had his own charter fishing company out of old Saybrook, Connecticut, wow. Sea Sprite Sport Fishing. And, uh, that's, plug for dad yeah, there. Plug there for you dad. go. <laughs> My Pete. audience is going to be all over that. Great. So yeah, really. <laughs> Want to come fishing in Connecticut? Hit it up. They might. Yeah, we probably got some fishers out there. Yeah, CaptainPete.com. That's my dad. That's awesome. Well, that's why you come by this look naturally. Yeah, you, that's you, right. You do look like you're captaining your own ship for sure, yeah. So, so yeah, you would go yeah. out like during the summers and, and yeah, work and yeah. just kind of lump some money together and then that gave you the springboard to kind of pursue right, some other right. stuff? Exactly. It was like a... Um, it were you know 14 hour days 7 days a week but you could like condense it all get all the work you know get your get your money for the year and go out and do what you wanted the rest of the year and for me that was riding my bike somewhere and i've realized the cheapest way to do that is is to bike tour mm. and so i would just leave each year and oftentimes i would come here to i would just come here to austin and dog sit and um hang out and online date things like that <laughs> <laughs> that was towards the <laughs> about 10 years ago that ended but you know yeah that was like a uh yeah you know i just try to find any place warm so that's how i started going to tucson too it was the same sort of thing there are very few places that you can go in the winter time and i mean this is not a good example here in, in texas right now but yeah, yeah generally yesterday though nice would have been nice oh it was very nice i was wearing the tiniest shorts i owned all day uh, yesterday yeah. and that's it Walking oh you had clothes on okay that, barely. that's a step barely. up from oh, last yeah, time barely. Yeah. <laughs> that's true <laughs> Yep. Last time you're here, you can Harry's. Yeah, yeah. Come find me at Old Ken Harry's a little later. <laughs> Man, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this whole time that you're, you know, you're working at the boat, like, what were you just like trying to stay out of corporate America, just like trying to find a groove? And 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 I mean, clearly you found it now. But what what was going on, you know, in in your life? Were you trying to figure out? Yeah, what's next? Like, what am I going to do for a job? Or were you more just like, I'll go do fish and then I'll go bike tour for nine months out of the year? Yeah, it. I mean, it's it. Um, I had a I had a pretty bad accident here as a bike messenger, where I like hit a curb cut the wrong way and just woke up in the emergency room essentially, and had uh, a bunch of medical bills and everything. And I was like, um, what am I doing? I feel like I got to get serious here. And so I've, I, I would have like little, and then I would go back and try to get my, I think I went back and tried to get my master's in education mm. at, um, Tex at, uh, what the heck in, San, in San Marcos. Yeah. Oh. They wouldn't, UT wouldn't take me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the San Marcos one where all the party boys go. Yeah. And, it's like uh, Texas state, Texas maybe? state. That's what it's yeah. called. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't finish, but you know, I would have like little like wake up calls like that. Would be like, oh shit, you know. And uh, but then I'd always, you know, fall back into the into my own old ways. And you know, it's not 
necessarily that I'm a, like a lazy person, but I am, I'm self, I think I may have already said, I'm definitely self-regulating. Like it, I don't, I could take on a lot, but then it kind of all kind of, I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't try terribly hard. Like I was, like we were saying before. And so it, things don't always pan out for you when you have that personality. Yeah. <laughs> and so it wasn't necessarily that I was, you know, I would look for, I would look for jobs, but oftentimes I get discouraged about all the steps that would need to be taken. And I always had that safety net with the boat, like I was saying. So I was like, ah, you know, this is not quite as good of a deal as what I have right now. And I had, I had come to a conclusion that I didn't want kids and I didn't want to get married or anything like that. So it kind of, that was like a big sigh of relief and like an aha moment where I didn't need, I didn't have a time frame. you know, like that took the, in my thirties in particular, that took my, um, my late twenties or thirties. I was like, well, I don't, what's the rush? I don't have anything. I'm not backed up against anything. I have no, you know, yeah. there's no clock ticking here. I could take my time and I don't have to go do something, work hard at going to do something I don't want to do, or I can, I have the luxury of just kind of letting it all settle and let something happen naturally. And I know it sounds like a, like a hippy dippy sort of like, but I mean, it was just, I, yeah, yeah. I, I think that we don't sound... take time to really realize what we want to do. And, you know, it's like, yeah. we don't have that. A lot of people don't have that luxury, sure. but you know, I think there is something to be said about not, yeah, you know, really contemplating and and letting things happen slowly and naturally and sustainably, and that's a great way to make sure that you're, you know, you're in it for the long haul, and you could kind of, you know, be nimble and and mold yourself, mold yourself, and mold. Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, it's just kind of <laughs> flow. Go with the flow. <laughs> Go with the flow. Well, you're saying like find, yeah, find yeah, what yeah. it is that you're really yeah. passionate about. Find out what you're good at. Right, and, right, and right. We are pressured by society to to establish those things very early. I yeah, mean, yeah. we're going to college when our prefrontal cortex isn't even fully developed. And we're like, well, you need to know exactly what you want to do. And you've got to, you know, have the pension by the time you're 30. So you totally. get your house and mm -hmm. the kids and all that stuff. And I, I, I feel a lot of kinship with you and, and really respect how intentional you've been with your life and that you have given yourself the freedom to uh, to explore yourself and, and, and the world in the way that you see fit. I made some missteps along the way. I got married a couple times and had some kids. Where, you know, kids are great, uh, but I uh, shouldn't call that a misstep. <laughs> I mean, Do they listen? Yeah. yeah. No, they don't, they don't listen. But I, I, there was a time in my life I was like, when I was in my late 20s, I was like, I'm never going to have kids. I never wanted to ki have kids. And I thought I was going to live this other lifestyle. And it does, it, it puts a lot of pressure on you yeah. when you have, when yeah, you have yeah. kids. And it should. And it like, should. If you're a good, like the, you hear about like the, like the cool dad trope, you know, it's like, well, if you're a cool dad, you're probably not a good dad. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. And I, I want to yeah. be a good dad. Yeah. I yeah. absolutely yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. As much as I called him a misstep. Sorry, Lila and Sloan. I didn't mean it. Uh, no, it's just, I, I, I've been forced to, um, to take jobs and to do things because I am a father that, but like, as I'm, you know, talking to you, I'm like, man, I would have loved to spend, you know, nine months out of the year just touring and, and kind of, you know, figuring it out as you, yeah, yeah, as you yeah, go. And yeah. I think the world would in a lot of ways be a better place if people were doing the things that they were passionate about, mm -hmm. not that they just wanted yeah. to make money oh, and for sure. have a cool yeah. house or cool car. But if people were genuinely pursuing their passion, mm -hmm. 
And that's that's one thing that's super cool about you is, you know, when someone buys your tire, they buy a bike or your handlebars or whatever, your bags, you mm-hmm. do you do everything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get them all. Like, check, 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 check. Uh, they're buying something directly from you. There's not a marketing agency that's done it. I mean, you are you are doing the thing that you are passionate about that you think is, well, you say what you're doing, but (laughs) 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 putting, putting words in your mouth, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, like that you can see there's, there's a difference whenever you go to ronsbikes.com and you go to walmart.com or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and maybe, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's cool that, that we live in a, you know, with all of the, um, with everything terrible about social media and the internet and whatever age we're going into, you know, there's, you know, take it robots. with the, the, the age of going. robots. I don't know where we're going <laughs> to just trying to think of how my uh, bikes and bags of how I can digitize them and put them in the metaverse. But yeah, I'm well, sure, sure we can time, get in there somehow. <laughs> all of all of my questions came from chat, chat GPT. Yeah, so. this, yeah, I'm, I'm answering the same way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're actually not even here. You're not right even now. here. <laughs> it was crazy. I watched a total side tangent just real quick. I watched a video on the social media internet recently of Tom Cruise giving an interview. <laughs> and I found out afterwards the entire thing was AI. It was not him at at all oh, wow. and i could not tell the difference it was mind-blowingly huh, good huh. and scary at the same yeah, time right. you think about that and chat G- gpt and put that shit together yeah you got yeah. boston dynamics building fucking robots oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like what the f- uh-huh, you know? mm-hmm. yeah uh, another side tangent with that boston dynamics building robots i don't know if you saw that 60 minutes episode mm-hmm. with, with that they had um uh um brian uh uh brian um Gosh, you're gonna have to edit this so it doesn't sound like I'm forgetting his last name. Holdsworth. I can do that. Hold oh, yeah, you could do that. I, Brian Holdsworth. He's a bike, he's a frame builder, a really, really nice guy in um out of Boston, of course. Holdsworth. Am I saying that right? We have to look it up. You could ad lib. But but I thought it was super interesting. He's a he's a, the nicest guy and he's brilliant, obviously, because he works for um for uh he makes robots for a living, but he, that was uh, in the sixty minutes interview. He, he was the one uh, working the robot as they were showing, you know, what they were doing in Boston Dynamics, and it was a, a bicycle frame builder. I thought that was interesting. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, like a classic, like a lugged, like really nice bicycle frame builder. Like two generations in, like his parents even built bikes. You did on our last interview said that the bicycle is like engineering 101. Yeah. yeah. And so that's the robots engineering 101 class working on bicycles. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Boston Dynamics is proof of concept right there. It's right there. Listen to Ronnie. He knows what he's fucking talking about. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's going on. So did you come here just for, to come to Austin? Is this the destination or you? Oh no. Yeah. Just for a few days. Um, For a few days. Uh, just leaving tomorrow morning. Yeah, heading, oh. to, heading to Tucson. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So, what, are you just you riding, looking to get out of the cold weather in Connecticut? Like, what? yeah, yeah. I've had since we um, since we last spoke, a lot's happened. That was pre-pandemic. Every, yeah, pre-everything. But the, we've taken on a an off like uh, it's funny the way um, the second we my um, partner Ari and I stopped. Of course, we had to go home to my to connecticut she's from connecticut also when the pandemic hit her um sister was having a c-section so we knew like a birth was happening and we wanted to be home for the birth of our nephew and so we uh um she was going to fly back and it was right uh 
like right there in like mid-March and we didn't really know what was going on. So we drove the van from New Mexico back to Connecticut thinking we were just going to, you know, say hi and, and head back out again. Sure. Two weeks, right? Two weeks, you know, and but no, we never left and we ended up, um, we ended up, we ended up getting a house. A haunted house, I think. Yeah, definitely haunted. It was built in the late 1700s. So yeah. there's some few, <laughs> there's really definitely cool. something going on in there. Yeah. Um, and we, uh, um, we bought a, f uh, we, all of this stuff wasn't any wasn't in the plans at all. It was just kind of it's just things that happen, and I've just been going along with it and seeing what happens along with it. It's been a, a lot of more work than I had ever imagined for myself, I suppose, but it still feels manageable. But we ended up buying a factory too to make our bags because the those folks were retiring, the people who were making our bags in Connecticut. Yeah. Um. So we bought that factory, and so. We have eight employees there. And so it was like, well, am I going to, and I've always been able to get away for a few months every winter um, to go someplace warm. But I was like, unsure if I was going to be able to do it this year. And uh, Aria was like, well, we had a long talk around Christmas. And uh, she was like, you're, you're not as happy as you usually are. You know, like, you know, something's going on. And I was like, hey, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, you need to, you need to go, go mm. for a little bit. I can handle the, I could take care of the factory here. Oh, wow. So, That's uh, so nice. yeah, so super nice. She knows exactly what I need. And um, so, yeah, I, uh, a few weeks ago, I left Connecticut in the van and uh, started heading this way. And I can only drive like four hours a day max. So, really? So I, I stop a lot along the way and, yeah. and take pictures of weird things that I see <laughs> off the road. Or um, I try to do a ride or a hike or a run each day yeah. wherever I am. And so, yeah, it's a really nice, nice way to – I always – I think I could like a through line back to the Smashing Pumpkins video for today, way back when, which is not a song about heroin. But the uh, if anybody recalls that, there's like a big ice cream truck that they're like traveling across something like oh, a, in like the in the video. It's a okay. really colorful, like vibrant video. Uh -huh. But ever since that video came out when I was 14 or 15, I've always wanted to be like on road trips constantly, you know. And so yeah. it's nice to nice to do that. That was one of my questions, actually. Um, I mean, a lot has changed. We we our last episode came out December of 2019, so mm -hmm. it was you know right before the pandemic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And since then, yeah, I bought a house. I mean, you're in Connecticut now. You're, yeah, yeah, you were living a very nomadic lifestyle. Now yeah, you're yeah. now you're trying to figure out if you can get away for a few weeks to go ride your bike. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are some of the what are some of the pros and cons of of this new lifestyle? And you know, what do you miss about being on the road? I met, I, I'm being on the road is my, it's definitely where I feel most comfortable, whether, whether that's on the bike or in the van or just, just being out and about. And it's just, uh, the way that my brain works, I'm scattered, so scattered. Everything's everywhere. Like my workshop, my workspaces, if you give me space, I just completely <laughs> everything, just, a, just a yard sale. And so, um, it's nice being either uh, touring on the bike or in the van because everything everything you need gets condensed, right? It takes away all the static. So it's just like, you're never looking for things. You're, you, you're, you always know that you have what you need right in front of you. And it's a, a great way to simplify your life and make it compartmentalize it. And if, if you're a person that is as scattered as I am. And so it's, I've always felt, um, I always sleep better. I always have more solace when I'm on the road because it's, you know, everything's there. And, um, so that's a, that works really well with my, with my brain. And so, and I also, 
and I just like riding my bike in new places all the time. That's sure. like the best. You get addicted to that, where you're you'll be in one place and nothing, and it's never good enough because <laughs> you've been traveling your whole life and you just want to ride in a different place every time you every yeah. anytime you can. So I, that's another way that I've stayed so engaged in cycling too. I think it's just right. you have so much variety, and if I'm get tired of one place, I go to another another spot and another new zone because I love connecting dots on the maps. Like that's. That's ultimate for me. I could stay up late every night just looking at maps and overlays and thinking like, oh, you know, this mountain range looks cool. I want to ride my bike into there. And, well, maybe I'll have to carry my bike over this, but that's cool. I'll just keep going, you know, yeah. things like that. And so, yeah, being on the road, doing that sort of thing, as opposed to being in Connecticut, which we live in a, a beautiful part of Connecticut. It's some of my favorite, one of my favorite places to ride in all of the world. Really? Yeah. And so it's, you know, I could never complain about that. Um, we have got a great house. We live with Arya's um, um, mother, who's really cool to have around. She's from Tibet and just, uh, you know, it's like a really like peaceful presence around the house, listening yeah. to her recite her mantras. And, you know, oh, really? like, it's just like a cool, it's like, yeah, it's a pretty cool living scenario where we could have that intergenerational thing going on. And we've got a lot of space, some big barns, 12 acres, yeah. nice swim hole and all the riding. And I've got a good got a good uh, cycling community there that we all ride the same types of bikes and we're all into that same really curated style so it's a good life you know it's a good life in both places it's just that yeah it's just about i guess just balancing it now you know and i yeah, think like if i could get away for a few months each year then that's a great balance for me yeah. you know I, I really am happy and content there we're close to my parents too and, yeah. and my sister and my nephews and so it's it's yeah it's cool because they're all getting older and it's just nice to Nice yeah. to be there with them. Um, Not us, but them. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> never, <laughs> never getting older. <laughs> Obviously, you're getting younger. Yeah, I think, as, from the last yeah, time. yeah. Since we last talked, I've definitely gotten younger. Yeah. I want to tell you a story, uh, a little bit of a side tangent, but I've told this story to many people, and it's about you. <laughs> um, when we were at uh, the bike packing summit at Mulberry Gap in 2019. You remember, I believe his name was Charlie. He gave a a, a, a presentation on wilderness mm -hmm. first aid. Yeah, very informative. Yeah, it was great. You and Ar Arya mm -hmm. uh, sat back to back. You remember that? <laughs> yeah, uh huh, uh huh. Yeah, it was a really like, it was a really, um, it was like a tender moment. It was like, it was like <laughs> these people are very comfortable with each other. It was very cute. Mm -hmm. um, Y'all are for anyone who doesn't know, there's a substantial height difference. <laughs> But they y'all just like sat back to back and essentially used each other as like a support system. <laughs> um, and I just I thought it was really like, kind of cute and endearing, and it, it made me I'm like, these are like really cute and and lovely people, you know. And I I don't know That's you really hardly nice. at all, but just the that like little interaction, I was always like kind of touched by that. I thought y'all were just like kind of a sweet sweet couple. Oh, well, thanks. That's really nice. Yeah, I Arya is the love of my life. Where she's, you know, we've. I, we are very cute and sweet to one another most of the time. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we're we uh, when we're together, you know, we're generally spooning or doing something like that at all times. And, and uh, so yeah, we're it is we have like a like a we like to say a healthy codependency, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know it, it is night. We do everything together, and we have we've been together for ten years, and we, the whole time we've either been touring on the bikes together, you know, um, going through the whole. Um, uh, the whole like, uh, 
doing the whole like influencer thing. I'm trying to think of like what you call like the influencer era. Cause I think we're over the influencer era. <laughs> I think it's done. Uh, uh, we definitely are, but, uh, but being in like being paid by other companies to go travel the world, which was a pretty cool thing for a while there. Yeah. And, um, you know, doing all that together and then, um, starting the businesses together and doing the house stuff together. And, you know, now, you know, yeah, we're just, we grew up in the same area. We didn't know each other growing up or anything, but yeah, it's just one of those, one of those things where we're very comfortable with one another. And yeah, I love her very, very much, obviously. Very cute. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thanks. I'm glad, glad think, that's the way that we look and not don't make people puke, but. Oh no. <laughs> I think it's like, if you're like making out in front of yeah, everybody, right, right, but yeah, I mean, you know, a little like just intimate hugging. moments. We're always hugging. Yeah. Yeah. But that's cute. I think, I yeah, mean, probably. Yeah. I'm twice divorced, so I don't give a relationship advice, but I think, yeah. that, you know, it's yeah. probably a lot healthier to yeah, just, yeah, it's, it's you know, nice. be endearing we, to We definitely have our, we definitely have our arguments, but yeah, for the most part, we, we like to come back to that loving core there. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, another thing that I've talked about with you, I'm just going to spill all my beans real mm. quick. <laughs> I was talking to my friend, uh, one, once, I don't, this was a while ago, but I was like, we were like, that guy has to work out. Like he doesn't have that body from just riding bikes. Like, and we had a discussion about this. This is good. I like this. So, yeah. so I want you to answer my friend and I's question. Okay. Okay. What is your health and fitness routine? Like uh, now I know you're, you know, you have a major in kinesiology and you were, uh, worked at Gold's Gym. So I, I know that there's something going on there. Yeah. It's hard to say whether or not that's all, it's all leftover or genetics. Cause it, you know, that was in high school, I was very, into lifting weights and mm. and which was funny i don't think i really understood that that was like you know the antithesis of being a good bicycle racer was <laughs> right. bulking up with your <laughs> i did see a picture of you like on one of the you you described in our last episode uh you were riding the 90s bmx well, like a pogo stick yeah, the handlebars yeah, uh -huh. are mm -hmm. so close together but i did see a picture of you i think you posted and you had like big beefy arms yeah. and cut off sleeve and <laughs> yeah that's when you looked like a dolphin <laughs> yeah precisely yep those are the dolphin era yeah. the dolphin era yeah so quite the sight big old shoulders big broad shoulders <laughs> on a pogo stick <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like I broke my, I, I broke my arm. Um, I like spiral fractured my humerus, not funny humerus, uh, <laughs> and, um, when I was 21, uh, and never really got back into like, like serious weight training after that. So from 16 to 21, I worked out five days a week with weights and was really into, was taking all the creatine and the, yeah. you know, and all the like tubs of of whey protein and all that stuff. And that's how I really got into, um, uh, that's why I wanted to go to, to college for, to be a trainer and things like that. And had always been into like, um, improving people's, you know, fitness any way I could, whether it be nutrition or, uh, always into this stuff. I don't know why, but yeah, I always been into, I guess, get be realizing that maybe I could, I, I wanted to be a professional bike racer when I was in high school. And so I just realized like, oh, I got to get a few books on nutrition and study this stuff. And my mom has always been, my mom is a really healthy eater. And, and uh, so she was always really supportive of that. So, you know, I've always been like conscious of like my, uh, I come from a, 
both my mom and dad, my whole entire family on both sides. They're fat shamers for sure. Like it's, they're not good at, <laughs> it wouldn't fit into the, today's, uh, uh <laughs> the stuff I hear at home. Just like, whoa, <laughs> it's like, this is what I came, this is what I came from. So it's like, that's a lot of our parents. It's a lot way, of our parents. Know, so, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. them in particular, they're, they don't, they have no, they're both, you know, in their seventies and are still really fit and everything, you know, they so, are fit. I yeah, am yeah, surprised. Yeah. My mom just turned 70 actually. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, yeah, it was just like, uh, um, I grew up with knowing, you know, being uh, conscious of that, but, um, yeah, never really worked out, never really worked out much after that really bad accident, uh, that broke my arm so terribly. Cause I, I was, had to be off the bike even for eight months. Really? Um, and, uh, and, and that was the last time I ever tried to, uh, do any, I was into like free ride hardtail stuff, like North shore style, like, you know, wheelie dropping off to flat, you know, six feet to flat or something yeah. stupid. So that was the end of that to me too. And that was really, that was also the last time I ever rode suspension. Really? So I guess I've dabbled in it a few times since then with that, with that specialized fuse thing. But the, but the, um, but yeah, I was like, no more, I'm going pure, like nothing, <laughs> nothing that can, I want to ride the bike for the rest of my life. I got to get out of this bullshit. You know? Yeah. Plus and medical bills, medical aren't bills aren't fun. And yeah. so, yeah, so yeah. So long uh, to answer your question. No, I don't work out. And I think maybe it was just, I like built up that muscle early on and it just never fully left me. I mean, I weigh like 40 pounds less than I did then. Yeah. But yeah, it never really, it never really left me, but I've always, again, you know, I, I eat really clean, as clean as I can. And um, I'm mostly, you know, most I'm vegetarian, mostly vegan. And I have been this whole time too, I guess. Maybe that helps some people. Yeah. I, people's bodies are all different. Sure. But I think that I really um, do well with that diet. Yeah. 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 That's what I was thinking. It's just, I mean, you know, running and, and riding bikes and you're working on bikes. Like you're, you're using your body. You don't want so to know what I bet you it is. Yeah. I, I say this to body by ATB. It's, it's the, it's the, when you're riding, especially where we live in Connecticut, the trails are rugged. Like that's it's your a, new training program. It's a full just, body workout. That's a whole nother business venue. Uh -huh. that yep. you have body by ATB. Yeah. Body by ATB. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Sponsored by Ronnie. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, most of the rides that we do throughout the year are full body workouts. Like you, yeah. you're, you're, pumped from head to toe like there's no muscle in your body that you aren't working when you're right. when you're doing like a proper rock crawl and yeah. you're running and stuff i mean all mm -hmm. that stuff's great yeah. for your legs and your core and, right, right. and everything so i walked 20 miles yesterday did you check me out on strava it's <laughs> my longest walk <laughs> yeah why the hell i guess in austin you went on a walk yeah, when I, I love walking in cities. That's one of my favorite things. It's taking nice. pictures, people yeah, watching. Yeah, it's just anything. Yeah, it's just that I love. I'm really good at walking. It's my best sport. <laughs> I'm, I've always been really good at it, and uh, and so yeah, it's just a nice. And in Austin, Austin is way better for bikes than it ever was. Yeah. Um, but I still kind of hold on to that. Like, oh, that's must. It's a little nicer to walk, and it is. It's a pretty. You could do a big loop around the whole city now, and it's you get to check, you get to you know eat eat some good places along the way, and it's just a nice place to take in. You know, it's a nice place to take in a city at, at a pace like that. Yeah, know? I agree. I like walking cities. Let's talk about the uh, riding in Connecticut. You just touched on it a little bit, but uh, yeah, what is the riding community? And here's another thing: while you're, well, you can answer this one too. Uh, 
I don't know if this is by design or if you're just a cult influencer, but you do inf- you you are um, the people that you ride with. They have the same kind of bikes, <laughs> you know. Th- they have the right handlebars. They're all you know have rim brakes, you know, whatever it is. But are you are you like is it mandatory that that everybody <laughs> do, does that to get into the club or uh, or it, it, it's like you've created your own aesthetic and your own brand of of cycling in a way you know that mm, does mm. seem very unique to you mm. well thanks yeah i i'd like to think it's it's a mix we've got some pretty cool influences in our area and i'll say you know we in our um our t- we've probably nutmeg country is what we call our little area this mm. is a triangle in uh in southern connecticut um with guilford connecticut at the at the west side uh Lyme, Connecticut on the east side, and then as far north as Middletown. And we've got this. If you look at the map of Connecticut, you could see that it's a big green space. Um, and there's no very few major roads that run through it. So it's got a really nice country feel to it. And it's an area that was, um, you know, that was colonized, you know, one of the first places that was colonized on the east coast. And then they, it's a uh, the mouth of the Connecticut River. That's where we are, right at the bottom. The Connecticut River is the major major waterway of New England. But because of this, all of the snowmelt coming down from Canada, it runs all the way through New England and comes out right in our area. Is the a giant sandbar at the mouth of the river, and no big ships have ever been able to get up it. And so, even though it it was you know settled in the 1630s, it's never been a giant. It's never in you know, loads of farms were put in there. There was never any industry, you know, never any big industry because the ships weren't able to get in. And so you have this place that has remnants like the old 300 year old roads and trails and paths everywhere that's still there, but the people aren't because they've all moved West or gone to some place where they can make more money doing industrial stuff. You know, even in New England and like the industrial age, they all left our area. So it's like this area that's been forgotten, just left the way it was hundreds of years ago. So the aesthetic, like when you're actually riding there, what you see is it's like uh, traveling in time. You know, the houses, I'd say most of the houses are historical homes that were built, you know, a long ass time ago. And mm-hmm. you're meandering, you're like, why is this road even here? And you're just like, there's, I haven't seen, you know, you won't see very, you'll barely see any vehicles, no nothing. You know, like, why is this road here? It's like, oh, old farmer Ebenezer had to get his like hay to his, his carn to, <laughs> that's, yeah. how, that's how they say corn and, and oldie timey. His, oh. car, his carns. <laughs> you're talking about a, car, a no, car. No, yeah, say it with me now. Carn. <laughs> Kern. <laughs> Farmer oh. Ebenezer needs his Kerns. Farmer <laughs> Ebenezer needs his Kerns. No, I got to work on that. That was pretty good. Yeah. So that's 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 old English for you. So the, they would, you know, had I'll to get, get his the, I'll get you on the Texas draw. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I'll get you on that slang. one. Yeah, you let me. That's <laughs> long since gone. But, um, but yeah, so it's like a unique area where I, I feel like our the style of that, that's that been developed there is, is we like to not you know kind of like match the the region you know and, and it's a lot of the the tones and the colors and the patterns and the style of bicycle like there's a rich history of cycling in Connecticut the actual the first ever safety bicycle ever pedaled outside of Europe was by a Frenchman in in Hartford Connecticut oh, wow. uh, the Pope bicycle fact most of the you know the Pope bicycle factory before it came the Singer sewing machine factory in Hartford Connecticut so a lot of the early production bikes were made in Connecticut That's cool. um, and it's just got this cool you know it's got this cool like 
rusty, uh, um, you know, well-worn, honest, like, you know, feel to everything around there. And so that's, that definitely, um, is my inspiration when I'm designing things. And when we're, so it, 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 I feel like it, it just naturally lends itself well to our environment. And that's how that everybody who rides there tends to have that same style because we're also heavily influenced by Richard Sachs and Peter Weigel who also live in the, in our area. Mm, um, I don't for know people them. who don't know, Richard Sachs is a, um, Richard Sachs and Peter Weigel are two of the, I would call the, what you call it? You don't call them like best, but like most coveted frame builders in the, in the world. I'd even, I'd, I'd, I'd wager to say they make very like, old, you know, lugged steel bikes, and they always have. Richard Sachs has made a career out of just making one bike and over and over and over and over again. And he's been doing it since the 70s, and so has Peter. And they, they started in England and then came back, and Chris Chance of Fat Chance was the painter there in his 20s. And this all happened, started in East Haddam, Connecticut, uh, Whitcomb, USA, which was a bicycle brand that only lasted a few years, and then they went out and did their own thing. But they make, uh, like the French Randonneur revival that's happened in this country is you could trace that right back to Peter Weigel, um, 650B and rando bags and fenders and like that old style that we all emulate. That's all Peter. Mm. Um, so I like to, I like my era is nineties mountain bikes. And so I like to, I take equal parts, you know, like Charlie Cunningham and Peter Weigel. And I think that's how you find our, our style there. And we yeah. all play off one another in our little riding group there too because we're all equally as into the curation of the bicycle as everyone else so a lot of the times our rides we just meet and we just admire one another's bikes for a little bit and <laughs> go out and ride go out and rock crawl yeah <laughs> you're really flexing is a very important aspect of your life um from flexing <laughs> literally with your muscle muscles to flexing on instagram with your pictures to flexing with your bikes among your friends right, you're just right, a flexer right. you got flexor yeah always flexing that's, that's all you do you're like how can i flex the hardest yeah, today yeah. i want to go to the bike ride i want everybody to look at my bike exactly yeah, you treat it like a prom, you know, going out, <laughs> exactly. yeah, going out to get my, <laughs> what am I going to wear today? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah, a, I gotta it's pick a big up part my of the cutest outfit. Uh, cutest outfit. And a we all just, we oh, always got it. Yeah, we have an inseam requirement. Yeah, if you want to ride with us, it's got to be <laughs> nothing over four and a half inches. Four and out, it's definitely <laughs> three and a half. <laughs> Gets shorter every year. I like it. Yeah, the, the pants fray a little bit, they get a little bit shorter. That's right. <laughs> that is right. Yeah. It but, started uh, at four yeah, and a half. Yeah. But we always, we always, we've all got a lot of bikes in our area and it's, it's cool that we can, I don't know, it's cool. We trade a lot of parts and we do a lot of cool stuff with that. And it's, I guess we're always like looking on eBay. Most of this, we are, I guess we justify it being like, oh, you know, so-and-so dentist bought a $10,000 one, you know, one of their bikes is $10,000. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we've got like maybe like three of our bikes would cost $10,000. So four maybe so yeah. you know we just kind of be like okay we could have another one <laughs> that's economics that's just, <laughs> just bike economics just bike economics you yeah. know and you can never have too many you know <laughs> so tell me this question what is your i don't know pick you know let, let's say you're on a dating app and you have to and you're obviously looking for the perfect bike not the perfect perfect partner here on this app and uh the question is what is the perfect day on a bicycle look like to you mm, mm, mm. Perfect day on a bicycle. I, I like, you know, it's, I love a good group ride. I love a good group ride where everybody's there for the same reasons, you know, whether it be going fast or going super slow and just chilling the, the whole day. I, I prefer to chill the whole day. <laughs> um, 
and we would meet up in a scenic place, whether it be a coffee shop or just like a, a place where we could sit in the sun. I'm actually thinking of like our Saturday and Sunday rides at home in Connecticut. Cause those are, I get, I just, I have such a good time there. And we, we, we all meet up, we have some tea in the sun. I have some like Adirondack chairs that we sit in. We just chat, we usually smoke a joint before we leave and we all start pedaling and you hit the woods and you got to hit the woods immediately. I like to stay, I like to spend most of the day in the woods. That's like the, I guess that's like the real, that's like the, the big picture is you're spending the whole day in the woods and what a better way to do it than with your friends on really cool looking bikes. And when uh, you go, Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. You can go ahead. You can, you can, you can I, jump I, in. I, okay. <laughs> I guess I'm interviewing this yeah, thing. Yeah, you're I'm, the interviewer. I'm, I'm yeah. the conductor here. <laughs> Let me take over Ronnie. Uh, yeah. What are you, are you riding a dedicated single track? Are you riding a double track? Yeah. Are you, yeah. Are you carving our, away. You were making your own path through the woods. Yeah. In our area it yeah, you would be a lot of like chunky double track, like, like four wheel drive roads or carriage roads as we mm -hmm. call them in, in our area. Um, the, old roads that lead past old foundations in the woods kind of leaves up to your imagination what used to be there or something you know and uh um you're connecting as many single track parts as you can no one's really concerned with how rideable anything is and nobody's complaining if something isn't rideable it's mm -hmm. just a uh, you know part of the flow of the day yeah and uh you know you may have to pick your bike up and walk a little ways or you know just get completely jackhammered by a rock garden or something but um, you know, we stop and wait for people when we need to, um, everyone, I like to bring a big thermos of tea, especially in the winter time. So that anytime we stop, which is probably, you know, every hour I'd say we stop for about 10, 15, 20 minutes mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, have a snack and regroup and, and, uh, chill and sit in the sun. The sun's gotta be out, gotta be laying like a <laughs> lizard somewhere. And it's really nice in Connecticut in the winter time where there's no leaves on the trees. You're, you're, you're completely blocked from the wind because you've got all of these like weird glacial depressions and, and chunk and like little hollows and whatnot. And you got full sunlight on you. Cause in the summertime, you don't even see the sun in the Northeast. Yeah. yeah this is the I'm the palest I ever am in the summertime <laughs> in New England <laughs> because you just, you just don't well, see yeah, the sun. You come out of winter whenever it's yeah, yeah, yeah. probably gloomy. Mm -hmm. And then you go into summer where you, you got all the canopy from the trees. Yeah, full canopy, can't see anything. So, you know, it's a, uh, it's the ride would probably be five to six hours. Um, you've got a, you've got a singular point in mind where your, where your longest stop will be, where you've packed your lunch in, mm. whether you're packing your lunch in or like want to ride to a place to have lunch at like a restaurant or something, but mostly there's not many restaurants where we live. It's not much of anything. <laughs> so yeah, we're packing our lunch in and I'm, I've got like an overlook spot in mind and, um, yeah, we'll just hang out there for as long as we can and ride back, but you've got to make a big loop out of it. I don't like out and backs or mm. anything like that. I like committing to a big loop, yeah. you know, it makes it, makes it so you don't have a way to, you know, you can't be like, ah, I'm going to go home. <laughs> I'm like that. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, make, yeah, yeah. 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 Put yourself in it. Yeah. Put yourself in it. And yeah, then you get to it. Then you get back, especially in the summertime, we've got a really nice swim hole down on our lower property and I'm thinking this was the, my favorite ride of last year was our, our friend Josh had ordered a head, had gone to the farmer's market earlier on and gotten a bunch of pizzas. And we've got like a fire pit near the swim hole. And we just, everyone gets back from the ride. We warm up the pizzas on the fire pit and jump, do the rope swing, jump in the water and hang out some more. But yeah, it's just a, a day of socializing in the woods, you know, with the common thread being the bicycle, obviously. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All right. Follow-up question. So what's the perfect bike? The perfect bike. Yeah. For Ronnie. And that was one of my questions from a patron. So thank uh-huh. you, patrons, for your questions. <laughs> We're going to insert those in here. Uh, ching, ching. Let's see. Yeah, yeah. You got to pay for that. Yeah. <laughs> that, that one costs money. <laughs> the perfect bike. Well, right now, it's always going to it's always gonna sound like I'm marketing to you because... <laughs> I do do I make bikes now. So yeah. uh, that, well, I'm actually teeing you up. I, yeah, I have a feeling where this might, yeah, yeah. I understand <laughs> what this sounds like, just to preface that. <laughs> uh, my perfect bike right now is that Alumalith, that which is the the um Frank the Welder aluminum bike that I did with Crust uh um as a collaboration this past year. And Sorry, Frank the Welder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that that's a person, Frank the that's Welder? That's a person. Frank the Welder is I I would argue Frank the Welder has made more bikes than anyone in this country right now as as far as his career goes his career started with mongoose in the 70s where he's welding 130 forks a day yeah wow <laughs> and so he's prolific he did all of the he worked for yeti uh you know if, like you name us a, a star from the 90s he made them a bike gotcha. whether it was under his own wonder whether it was under his own well, it was never under his own name but whether it was under a, a company that he was working for or like that company he was working for was making bikes for somebody and they were rebranding it another bike company or whatever and so he's an aluminum master he's steel master too he's just inc- incredible manufacturer and he's right there and he's in new england now and i knew him i was too had have known about him since the mid 90s because my favorite bike brand in the mid 90s that i could never afford was spooky bikes out of connecticut mm. and it was owned it was a, uh, a brand that was owned by straight edge hardcore kids and they had like the coolest shit and that was in connecticut especially in the mid 90s straight edge hardcore was the shit like that was you know, it was a uh, prolific. You could go to a show every single weekend, like at your at your like town hall. You know, and it's just like this tiny. You could live in a tiny New England town and just you know stage dive ninety five all night. And so, <laughs> <laughs> to Cookie Monster voices, yeah, Cookie Monster voices, all the good stuff. Uh, so uh, I was really into the hardcore scene, and so were these guys that were doing spooky bikes. And they hired Frank on after Frank was working for Yeti and Durango, and he came out and started welding bikes for them. And uh, so the spooky dark side was like the Connecticut East Coast single track bike, and he made all those. And spooky is still a brand that's around today, but it's like four owners in, and mm. it's not related to the original at all. But I was like, ah, oh. I was wishing. I was like, I want to just start up spooky bikes again because that was my dream. You know, I was like, that's what. Like, if I could think of one thing that would just blow my mind, my fifteen year old mind, it would yeah. be like, oh, now I have spooky bikes. You know, or right. like I can make bikes that somebody maybe will think as cool or as cool as what I thought that bike was. Yeah. And sure. so the first part of figuring that out was getting a hold of Frank, which Matt Matt from Crust kind of made that that connection by ordering a bunch of dirt jumper frames that are <laughs> he still has for sale those are not big sellers <laughs> crustbikes.com, crustbikes.com buy a dirt jumper uh, i always wondered that was a a, a random uh a bike in their lineup yeah I that's felt that's like. where this came from we had to kind of butter frank up a little bit and, uh, and get some get some get some frames done before we could ask him to do this weird th- this weird project for us and so yeah it, with man. the alumolith that was like me um being like okay this is where I'm at right now. This is like everything that I've learned about bikes thus far. This is what I'm going to put into this package. And I've had been, um, I kind of tested that, had kind of like over the pandemic had bought a few 26, uh, you know, aluminum bikes. And I had, I had had a bunch of 26 or, you know, I had grown up riding aluminum bikes, 26 aluminum bikes with 
uh, rigid, you know, with pumped up to 50 PSI with the tires, you know, as, as rigid as you could make a bike. That's what I grew up riding. And, and remember it was a lot of fun. And so I was like, wow, you know, aluminum's gotten a really bad, really bad rap these last few years because it was, you know, it was like, it was, it was relevant for a very short time period, you know, or, and nearly now forgotten, you know, you had, this 10 years of aluminum where aluminum was the material before carbon, before they started adding yeah. like carbon fiber seat stays to it, like trying to do all this wax stuff at the, <laughs> or at Y2K, which is anything made in the Y2K era is all junk, you know? And so it'll never be collectible. It's all terribly ugly and it just killed aluminum. And so carbon fiber takes over. Nobody's even thinking about aluminum anymore. Aluminum gets like this bad rap for being too rigid, too stiff. Uh, everyone's like steel is the, you know, steel, 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 steel kind of became the de facto, yeah. um, like cool guy bike after that. And so, um, I started, I got, I bought a bunch of, I bought two specialized S works like 1992 Dural cans over the, over the course of the pandemic and like kind of decked them out and was like, Oh, I'm going to change a few things on here. And of course we've got a tire company. So I was like, I'll see what kind of a difference that really good tire makes at, you know, uh, inflate it to the correct pressure PSI instead of 50, <laughs> try 25 instead of 50, maybe even 20. And so I was like, oh, these bikes ride amazing. And it, they're super light, like so much lighter than the comparable steel bike. And they don't feel any different. You're just mm. like, this feels the same. Like, what are people talking about? <laughs> and, uh, and, and it just so happens to be two, three pounds lighter sometimes. Mm. And when you're doing the types of riding like that, so coming from, uh, coming from like a heavy bike touring, like bike touring background, off-road bike touring background, like, you know, rough stuff, fellowship style, like lots of portaging and carrying your stuff. And like the hardest parts of any bike tour or bike packing trip, right. Is you're inevitably probably going to have to push your bike somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it's made all the more, uh, arduous because your bike weighs 50, 60 pounds sometimes because you're packing all your shit in on it. And so I always like enjoyed those parts of the bike tour, but it was always kind of like, Oh God, this is like, <laughs> this is, this is getting a little bit too hardcore. And so I, after, after settling down in one place and, and not being able to do the full-time bike tour anymore, kind of growing out of that, to be honest. Um, it's nice to revisit those, that kind of riding, but with the lightest bike you could possibly use on it while still being practical. Mm. And so I found a really, um, I found that aluminum lended itself really well to carrying and portaging and doing all the stuff that we like to do to connect the dots on the maps um you know your classic all-terrain bicycle atb yeah and uh, i was like well i asked him i was like i think we can do an aluminum bike and he's like fuck no he's <laughs> <laughs> like that'll rattle your teeth out <laughs> i was like no no trust me <laughs> it is weird though yeah, yeah. like there is here's the thing like i can't speak from any sort of expertise because like there is that sentiment and, sentiment, and that belief yeah, 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 that yeah. is out there that aluminum mm -hmm. is is and we've done yeah we've done crazy good. things to sell bikes the bike industry is fucked in so many ways because you've got it runs just like the, the auto industry where you've got a new model year every year and the big companies yeah. in particular you've got to come out with something that's different every single year that kind of pressure and most of the stuff you're going to come out with is gar is I mean, you know, they would never admit it, but it, you don't need it. You know, no one ever asked for these improvements, yeah. you know? And so you've got to come out with something different each year so that you can 
have everybody like discount last year's stuff and get rid of it. And so that the new, the bike shops can get in the new stuff. Yeah. And I mean, it's consumerism, it's consumerism at at a, you know, and it's and a crazy thing like bicycles where it's not like the improve, like you look back, you can look at the data book or, uh, you know, it's a bunch of stuff of material you could look at that was written in like the thirties and forties. And you're like, holy shit, that's the same. Like that's somebody's marketed that as an innovation in like the last 10 years, like right there, like that somebody came up with that in like the thirties, like, mm -hmm. the, like the bicycle has not changed, you know, yeah. it's starting to change now with electrified everything. But I'd argue that that's not even a bicycle anymore. Uh, not wouldn't argue. I would state that that's not a bicycle anymore. <laughs> and, no, that was a challenge. You're yeah, ready to yeah, argue. Yeah. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not arguing. There's no argument. <laughs> even better said. I'm not arguing. I'm telling you. You're telling you that's not a bicycle, and that's a totally different sport. If you want to get into that, that's fine. But don't. It's better than a car. Yeah, it's better yeah. than a car. I mean, yeah, I will yeah. take that. We'll uh, take that. If you want to get into that, that's totally fine. But that's not what I'm talking about here. Yeah. And um. And so. And that's not the kind of person that i'd be marketing to in the first place but the it's like uh so i don't think they're coming to your not website. Coming to my website <laughs> <laughs> so you know so so the the thing with with bringing back aluminum and i will say it's like it is like bringing it's it's it had really gone to the wayside no one was doing like a a, a curated aluminum modern vintage whatever you want to call it bike and so you know i came to frank who's who who now builds in new england two hours north of us and uh he could he's got a giant shop out there that he owns the building and it's just like this perfect new england uh manufacturing spot with just him and wow. maybe thirty thousand square feet just so many machines he bought it for bought the whole building for like a hundred thousand dollars uh 10 Jesus. years ago or something it's just an amazing spot wow. i've seen a lot of cool frame builder shops over the years but nothing comes close to that like, i've just unreal. seen pictures on your instagram yeah, it's unreal i don't i'm gonna have to go back there and spend like four days to try and photograph the whole thing yeah but um and then again working with frank and he was so like despite his standing and i don't think i've really ever met somebody who's been that entrenched in bike industry for that long who's still that affable and like so like it's just like a really nice easy to talk to no chip on their shoulder type of person like responsible for so much of what i revere in, in the bicycle world and he's just super humble and was like eager to work with me and just like cool. spend like really near like i'd i'd maybe we're at friend status now <laughs> question mark yeah yeah so, frank if you're yeah, listening yeah. please right. let ronnie know let me know for friends frank accept his pin request on <laughs> yeah, facebook yeah, please <laughs> did so, he did he scoff at you it sounds like not it sounds like no, he didn't turn his nose up at your he idea not, no. to... he's that's the thing with frank like he'll make whatever you want to make like he doesn't he is uh like someone like Richard Sachs, who we were talking about earlier, you come to him and he makes you what he thinks you need. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a totally different way to manufacture something, which I respect also. But Frank, with Frank, it's it was, it was you know, whatever you want. Even that like totally funky segmented uh, uh, bolt-on switchblade style fork that we did too. He was like, yeah, we could do that. You know, like, yeah, that'll be fun, you know. And he, I think he gets a kick out of building this stuff again because sure. this is what he started his career with, you know. Yeah. And so... Um, that bike just came out so good, um, all built up, you know, with very like reasonable parts, you know, it's sub 25 pounds. Um, yeah, that's really and, good. uh, um, highly. And you're on a large or extra large, extra or? large, yeah. you know, the 22 inch and uh 650 B wheels uh, or 27, five by, 
I, you can fit up to a 2.6 on it, but our, I ride our Mars tires, which are a 2.2, which is perfect for the type of riding that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you ride in the desert or something, you need something fatter, but I find fatter tires. I can't pick the lines that I like. So I, I like to, I like, you know, especially in Connecticut, you're going a really low speeds and kind of, kind of like threading needles between rocks and things like that. So if you've got a big fat tire, you can't get kind of have to roll over stuff which i don't like to do i like to dance in the trail you know like a ballerina like a ballerina exactly yeah. and so um yeah a nice light bike is great for that you know and so uh uh so that bike not only set up with either like upright bars or drop bars like a dirt drop style like it's a great bike for getting like i i love riding to the trip like making a ride of i love mountain biking that's my for whatever you want to call it I, I, I uh, Aria makes fun of me because I say, oh, I'm going mountain biking. You're like we live in Connecticut. There's no mountains here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it I rolls like to ride off the tongue better yeah, than yeah, yeah. ATBing. ATBing, you know, yeah. I can't do <laughs> So I, I love to ride trails. That's what I like. I like, you know, but the thing is, I'm not going to drive to the trailhead. You know, it kind of seems silly to me. So I like right. to make a big loop out of, you know, riding to the trailhead. And we could ride just country roads where we are. So it's an easy, easy way to do it. And we have lots of trails that you could connect to other country roads and things like that. So it's nice to have a bike that does everything well like that. The the transfers in between. And then once you get onto the single track, you're you're in, you're in a in a good spot too. And you've got a small bag to carry your snacks and gear in and stuff so that you don't feel like you've got to, you know, ride your ass off in order to get home before it gets dark and you know, freeze to death or something or starve to death out there, which I grew up doing, you know? So I, I know what that feels like too. Yeah. You're speaking from experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Rim brakes, right? Rim brakes. I love, that's another thing that, you know, nobody, you know, there's disc brakes for me are, are good for limited applications. I will say like, if you're riding in a, a really rainy mm-hmm. area, like the Pacific Northwest or something, I could see the disc brakes being a, an advantage or if you're riding in a really like fro like uh the only time that rim brakes ever give me trouble is if i if it's below freezing and i ride through a creek or something and then you go to grab your brakes and it's just ice on the yeah. rims and you don't have brakes <laughs> i wouldn't know i, I, I would stay inside <laughs> stay inside yeah. but i love the modulate i love the first off i love the look of rim brakes and i would say um a big hallmark of my bike builds is it starts with a look and then I'll, I'll be like, this is what I want my bike to look like. I'm going to achieve that. And it may take a few rides. It's like, it's a concept, but I'm going to, that's, that's what I'm always like chipping away at is how to achieve this look while making it the best bike it possibly can be. Yeah. Like, how do I not compromise on what this bike looks like? Because I'm so into the whole package when I'm out there. Like I can't, like I, it's, it's I can't, I don't get motivated to ride if I'm not on the right bike, if the bike doesn't match the surroundings, if it's not like something that's cool to me. Like if somebody were to just, it sounds super pretentious or whatever, I realize what I sound like, but if I, if <laughs> I can't borrow people's bikes, like there's no, like if I go to a place, be like, oh, I've got a bike for you. I was like, no, I'm not going to ride it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I can't, it just doesn't, it's not the same for me. And so it's, and it's not even the feeling, it's the look. Like I've got to have that look. I know it's super shallow, but. That look is super important to me, yeah. um, and so it's a, a matter of having that look and making that bike as perform as as well as possible. And oftentimes the two lend themselves to one another. You get that fashion and function, and vice versa. Um, so the bike that I'm t- 
that Illumilith that I'm on right now with the drop bars and the, whatever bars I put on it, essentially, it's just the perfect bike for doing everything that I like to do on a, on a bicycle. And yeah. the rim brakes, oh, we're still talking about rim brakes too. Sure. That's right. The rim brakes look a lot better. You can build a lighter fork, a more flexible fork because you don't have to worry about the, the, uh, the um, you know, the opposing forces between the dropouts and the, and the uh, disc brake when you're I never breaking all the way at the bottom. It's a giant sense. lever. You yeah. Know? And so um, a bike that Frank just built me now, built me now, which is kind of like my gravel grode bike. It's got center poles that are mounted super high on the fork blade. And so there's no, it's super stiff and there's no deflection in the, in the frame or fork or anything when you use the brakes. So it's like, so the modulation is just perfect. And a lot of the stuff that I like to ride, like rock, like when we're rock crawling, you're going down super steep, um, um, like granite slopes or something, and you're having to modulate the whole way to try and not lose, try and not like lock up your brake or like have that perfect, just like um, the per, it's just perfect. You could just do that with rim brakes, and it's. I feel like with disc brakes, oftentimes, especially if you're using cable actuated disc brakes, which is what I would prefer because hydraulics I don't fuck with, and so it's like. Uh, you know, those brakes are on or off. There's like very little in between. Yeah. And rim brakes get a bad rap because people just gave up on learning how to adjust them. The last last stuff, pr probably the last era of cantilever brakes in particular that people remember are those Shimano uh, super low profile ones with that plastic yoke in the middle. If anyone remembers, it, it was like a predetermined, like you could not adjust the height of the brake yoke. And so that's like one of the main adjustment points when you want to adjust your your brakes for power and modulation. And they took that away completely and those brakes barely worked. And so everyone just thinks of, oh, those brake rim brakes, that doesn't even work, you know? No. Don't, don't even get me into rim brakes, disc brakes on road bikes. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the industry trying to sell you a load of shit, I'm telling you. You know, like the, disc brakes have no place on road bikes. And yet they, I mean, road bikes are getting heavier. They're getting way more complicated to work on. Uh, they're getting way, oh, just hideous looking. This is like <laughs> the road bike has, was like the last holdout of like a simple, beautiful, like fashion and function, like perfect tool for the job, right? Yeah. And they've just shit on it in the last five years. Yeah. And I love it that uh, uh, Tari Pagaccia was riding a rim brake version of, what, by, what was he on Pinarello or something? I don't, I can't remember, but it was like a big deal that he was riding like a rim brake bike. And I love hearing that from like actual pros them being like, no, they're trying to like make us use these disc brakes, but they don't work as well. Right. They're not as good, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, the bikes are heavier, they're stiffer. It's just like not a good thing to, to max in there. They're just trying to sell you, just trying to, discount the old rim brake road bikes and we've got to move on is. the disc it's yeah. all and, and, and road bikes in absolutely five years are going to be like you know what actually these rim brakes were great we're going back to that so That's now true. you got to upgrade yeah, yeah, again upgrade again yeah they'll, they'll figure out something else they'll have like that spoon brake on top of the tire oh yeah <laughs> they need the, the spoon brake <laughs> so no, no. so the uh Lumineth, am i saying that correctly? Uh, alumalith alumalith it was named after something in yeah, it's a, a glacial event that formed the Connecticut River. Really interesting tie-in to the aluminum as well. Yeah, yeah like I it, thought that it, was it, neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a yeah. great tie-in. Mm -hmm. Are you? I think you're selling that just as a frame. Yeah, just the frame and fork. Um, and um, yeah, just the frame and fork. That's uh, cool, though. Yeah, yeah, that's gives cool. everybody the chance to build it up. We've had I mean, a, it. Sounds like a versatile bike. That it you is kind of yeah. build up to. I, I think you know the way that you just. I'm, I'm guessing that the alumin alumolith 
is indicative of the type of writing that you're doing right now it sounds yeah. like in, yeah, in yeah. connecticut yeah, for and sure so yeah. you can kind of build it up mm-hmm. as as you see fit yeah how much yeah. how much is it let's sell some bikes right now <laughs> well the frame and fork two thousand bucks easy easy breezy made in the usa that doesn't happen anymore made that, in the usa by frank the welder dude like this guy made awesome. john tomac's bikes yeah missy giovi's bikes julie Furtado's bikes like you really could, yeah yeah like this is the yeah he's like the man. i'm blown away by that you know and, he, and he's just being like yeah we can make bikes that's one thing I, I think is really fucking cool and, and should be con- commended is how many jobs you're creating, how much stuff is, is in America. And I, I, I don't know the full extent of it, but I know you, that you bought um, Nutmeg Needleworks. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. I mean, obviously it's rebranded for you, but you bought the factory. You must have employees working there on the bags. And I mean, you got tires and you got Frank building bikes. I mean, uh, it seems like, you're, I mean, you're doing a lot of stuff in America and creating, creating jobs, which, yeah, is, yeah, which, which is, is amazing, man. Like, yeah. Well, thanks for, yeah, it's a, it's a cool, it's, um, it's the made in USA stuff. is not something everyone can afford. I realize that, but it's like, we have a, a specific customer at this point now where you're like, if you want to, like, I feel especially with our sewing factory before we took over, like the last owners were very much into competing with China with their pricing and the way they treated the employees and mm. things like that. And so it's kind of like a, um, whereas now I, we have a cust- like customers, um, not only with the bags and bikes, but like other, at Nutmeg Needleworks, we also do like half of our business is like handbags and um, laptop sleeves, uh, horse halters. We do all sorts of stuff for other customers oh, wow. too. Oh, and so cool. um, the people that come to us are young designers and they're getting stuff made in the U.S. because it, it fits into their brand story, you know, and it's it's the story they want to tell about the stuff they make or sell. And um, they can put faces to the makers and things like that. And it's just like a pretty cool, rather than I like to buy, buy right, buy once kind of person. So yeah. instead of, you know, Instead of uh, you know buying stuff that is well, it's like you're just talking and, about the cycling industry. It's like yeah. oh, I get this bike this year, and next year they tweak right. one thing, and right. I gotta right. buy a new one. And it's just we gotta get. A, I, I don't know. I I got. I used to be a, a big consumer. I used to be trapped in in all the things, the cool car and need a new bike every six months or whatever. And when I stepped out of that, it was one of the most liberating things because you spend so much of your time and your money. You got to work for money so you can buy the thing and just go ride your damn bike. Just <laughs> don't worry about you know. Make getting, sure it's got the look you're looking for, though. <laughs> you gotta. You do have. I mean, I think there's validity there. Like you do have to. You you want a bike that when you look at it sitting in the corner, oh, yeah, right. that you want to go ride precisely it. right. Yeah, like you want to be. You want to like lean that up next to your desk at work and be like. Oh, I'm coming for you, baby. I'm coming. <laughs> I'm coming I got to do you. this right now, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm coming. coming. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming for you. I think it's a, yeah. Like, yeah I, I, I think it. that that makes. I, oops. I think. I think that really makes the uh, like the holistic cyclist too, because you're the bike is a extension of you at that point. You know, it's not right. just something stock that you've bought um, from a shop or now most people are just or consumer direct models from like Canyon and Specialized or whatever. Yeah. It's not. There's that connection that 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 way that is going to connect you to community or like a riding group that you're going to keep on going out with and it's becoming a part of your lifestyle. You know, I feel like the more you put into the bike to make it your own, the more you're invested in the bicycle as, as a, the holistic approach. And so that's what I'm about. So it's, it's, um, yeah, I try to encourage that as much as I can. So when we do the builds, we, we do a few 
customer builds with the Illumilis, we offer that. But it's generally, they'll tell me, uh, oh, I want to use it for this or that. Um, I, I like this look. Uh, how will this play with this? How will this shifter work with that or whatever? And I'm like, okay, we'll, uh, I'll put together a parts package for you. And it's always off eBay. You know, that's how I do my stuff. Really? And so I, I love using old parts because it's the, those parts are made way better with way more intention than anything you could buy now. Wow. And often, and oftentimes you could find them at like a mint condition on eBay or you know, even just like a few scratches or whatever. You could tell when things have been used, like looking for, looking at derailleur pulleys to see how worn they are. You could tell how much use that derailleur's had and how good the spring will be or something. But man, you love eBay. Yeah, You're I do. You're keeping I'm that place in, in business. I mean, do you that's own stock in eBay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. That's where I spent, that's all of my internet like fun time is on eBay. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I just collect old derailleurs and Front derailers in particular. I like to say that I have the largest collection of front derailers on the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> and tires on <laughs> your tires, mom's house. Yeah, tires in the mom's house. But you know, just you know, and those are the things I like to incorporate into these builds. And so for customers, I could if they're, you know, unsure about you know, putting something together like that, um, we do that for them also. But it's all part of being like, okay, like this derailleur, this, you know, XTR M950 derailleur nine speed was put out at like the pinnacle of shimano's like attention to detail or something like this was it. this was it for them after this it went, went all downhill and like they started people will remember this when they put the sti shifters and the brake levers on the mountain bikes it's all y2k stuff it's the worst ever yeah but the, i missed all yeah. that <laughs> and so the uh so yeah i kind of like pieced together parts from that era and make them work with like you know camping nolo ergo 10 shifters if they don't want friction down tube shifters or something it's just cool to see like how you can make these things work and the things you were able to do before they became so uh before all the tolerances became like so specific with like 12 speed eagle stuff with that giant pie plate cassette in the rear you know like they've really complicated things and made it so that only certain derailers work with certain setups and whatnot and it just makes us that especially if you're like if you're from a bike touring perspective i guess this is where i came to this from was like can i f if i'm traveling in a far off place can i fix this you know mm -hmm. it's like will i be able to get a replacement part will i you know can i fix this on the trail you know and and with that modern stuff oftentimes the answer is absolutely not yeah you know, i'm gonna have to wait like weeks for like a new 12 speed chain or something you know that's something you said about i, I remember the first time we chatted uh your first bike tour you ever did complete shit show <laughs> it's a great story actually i mean you know the yeah. shit shows always make the best stories yeah. and, and and if you didn't listen to that episode you gotta go back and fucking listen to it people. that's right that's right uh, and and also um i i listened to it in preparation for this episode and i'm like that was before i had an editor uh -huh. so i'm gonna i have all the original files um i'm gonna go back and re have my editor remaster it and, and make it even better so we're gonna tie the centurion it edition yeah you know uh, i think i think uh ronnie's episode deserves a remaster <laughs> for sure uh get out of the amateur hour what was i gonna ask you though fuck oh my gosh things, I, fixing things on the field oh yeah you said uh 26 inch tire right the, right because yeah. you uh well yeah you didn't need a new rim but you need a new tire because you right. went through your tire and you were like knocking on doors <laughs> to try to find uh somebody's kid's bike who you could buy a tire so funny, off of yeah. i'd be um, like so nervous asking people that these days this is a different time though yeah, yeah. oh it was like yeah. people like just hanging out in their yard and be like hey <laughs> yeah yeah now it's different yeah now you're yeah. on ring camera yeah and totally are like, like what was this what is, yeah why is this guy selling me What's drugs this, this muscular dolphin trying to sell me <laughs> drugs <laughs> this hairy muscular <laughs> yeah. dolphin <laughs> 
But but it seems like you've continued that uh, that idea that the importance of a bike that is repairable that yeah. you yourself can put in a bike stand and tinker with it. Precisely. Yeah. 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 Which is really important to me to be able to figure all that out. Yeah. 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 And oftentimes like 12, like uh, I ride primarily eight and nine speed drivetrains now with a wide range double in the front. Like my favorite, um, like my favorite, like ATB setup would be like a, like a, uh, a micro drive, like a micro drive crank, which is a 94 BCD crank from the like uh, mid nineties. Um, I like to run a, a, a 20 tiny tooth, a 2038 with yeah, maybe like a no a 2036 with a 38 bash guard and uh and then i'll run an, an 1134 in the rear or something and uh um eight or nine speed and the way that those like you've got a complete you've got a complete range there a great rock crawler you could ride up something that's nearly vertical mm. and uh and i love pulling levers and like doing all the i don't know i just i like I really do feel like I'm part of the bike when I'm the more yeah. levers I have to pull or like whatever I've got to do to make the thing work. And so the, uh, that bike shifts great. Uh, that setup shifts great, super crisp. I have it right now with just some like friction, uh, bar and shifters, but, um, it also performs really well in the mud or in the dust in, in Arizona or whatever, because you've got that wider spacing between gears for it to flush out. You don't get jammed up in, in ways that other people do if they're riding modern drivetrains. Listening to you talk about bikes and gear and stuff is like listening to a wine connoisseur <laughs> describe like a vintage wine. Like you're, I was actually at a, a little, um, we were doing a mezcal night with a charcuterie board, however you start. One of those. And uh we were talking the guy, one of the guys there was talking about, you know, the origins of all this stuff and the you know, the way it's manufactured and stuff like that. And if if I were to buy a bike from you, man, and have you build up a bike, like you are you're really getting uh, like a con so a connoisseur. You're of getting a bike. maniac, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like killed by a maniac. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think I, I think I can get down with that though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you make a you make a good argument uh, for yeah your your aesthetic and your style of riding. I mean, it's all very intentional. You yeah, know, it's it not is happening by right, by right, accident. Right, you know, like right, you know right. exactly mm -hmm. what you're fucking talking about and why <laughs> why you're doing it a certain way. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Here's a question for you. I've been trying to wrap my head around like. I mean, you've been doing this a long time in terms of being in the cycling industry in different varying degrees. And now you own like 37 different companies. And, <laughs> and, and it's hard to kind of put a bow on the whole thing and like put it all together. But I'm wondering, like, what is the thing in your life that you are the most uh, proud of? Like, what are what have you done? That you're like, holy shit, I can't believe I've done that or whatever. Like, what stands out to you? Mm, good question. Yeah. Um, you know, it is, I feel this Frank, the welder connection has been a big thing for me, I'd say. Uh, and I, I think that that's, I, that's a night when I think about it that way, that I'm always like when I'm striving for something big or I don't know, strive is the wrong word. Cause I say I, things do happen just kind of by happenstance. Like when you're in the when those intentions are out there subconsciously, I suppose, like I've always wanted to have like a bike brand or like, a, yeah. I don't know, but it's, yeah, I think of so much of my connection to bikes is rooted in nostalgia and 
the way that bikes made me feel when I was a teenager and just alone, not, not no social stuff hung up on it. Or it was just me and the bicycles, <laughs> me looking at the bicycles and, and, and just pouring over the catalogs and researching the racers and, and what their lives were like and just being like, Oh, maybe I could do that someday. Or like, Oh yeah, these bike companies, Oh, this is so cool. You know, yeah. just, just, and it's, you know, it's just, it's material stuff. Right. And it's, it's, it's a totally a product of the, of the, uh, of, of capitalism and whatnot. I understand, but it just, I don't know, just can't, it was, it's, I would say it's a religion to me, you know, like bicycles are, I'm not a religious person, but yeah. bicycles to me are, that's like the way, you know, and I'm, I've always thought of myself as like a, as like a evangelist for them, you know? And so it's, it's uh, like this, is like to me that it just worked out so well for me. It just got me, like I have such fond memories of riding bikes and discovering bikes as a kid um, or a teenager. And so making that connection by being like, oh yeah, like the way I used to ride bikes back then, I was, that was cool. That was, I was onto something there. Like that's something that was completely not um, tainted by, like modern uh, advertising of like moving the bike industry forward because in the, in the nineties in particular, like it was a lot like it is like, it were a lot of cool, like small brands yeah. and they were marketing, but it was, you were buying stuff from the person who was making it. I always thought that was so cool that you could like Paul, I, Paul components is the only, only one that's still around from that era. Mm. But um, I'm happy to have a great relationship with Paul and it's, he's really cool to, to talk that about that era with and about how he's, come out the other side and still he doing the do same a thing. He should podcast too. He should. He's a really... I should get him. Actually, maybe I should just you interview could. him. <laughs> you could just interview him. He's a really cool guy. I'm on the list. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so it's like, a, like, I thought this stuff was so cool that you could make something, like you could use your passion to make something that other people want and are passionate about and they appreciate it and they're buying it from you, not from this nameless... Uh, you know, internet site or whatever it was mail order back corporation, then. Corporation, corporation, yeah, conglomeration, whatever. But you know, you're like actually tapping into the spirit of the of the sport or the activity. You know, like you're you're getting a direct, you have a direct connection to it as as opposed to being you know a few people removed or like you're buying stuff from a big bike corporation. You've got all of these people that need to make this decision before they could even like put in a new braze on like a new like water bottle cage or something like you have got to go to like six board meetings for that like oh do we want to put a water bottle cage on in this area on this bike or over here or, <laughs> like all of this like like grinding stuff that needs to get done that just completely saps passion out of a project you know and so i've always held like old frame builders ross schaefer from S salsa uh of course charlie cuttingham he's like God to me, but the, you know, like I've always put a lot of weight into these companies to, that make this cool stuff and that you can't, I don't know, it's, it's, I don't see it around as much anymore. And so yeah. being able to work with Frank on bikes, it's kind of like my connection to, like I was saying, like wanting to have spooky, like wanting right. to be that brand and have that stuff and offer that cool stuff to the world. Uh, so me being able to do these bikes with Frank and hopefully I'll be able to make more, but this is the ultimate for me. Like, it's just such a cool, uh, um, circle, full circle back to what right. I thought was the coolest and like the, uh, uh, in like an era that I really, uh, aggrandize. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, you went from bags 
bars right tires yeah and now a bike and that really (laughs) that really is the pinnacle right like it's it's the air jordan of you know the shoes you know it's like i mean what do you want to do you want to i i want my own bike i mean i'm not gonna lie like my dream is to like one day have the bikes or death version of something it's true true. and and, and matt like matt from crust has been super uh say hold my hand through all of it but it's like when i did a bike with him the romancer early on and it, it's always been the romancer has always been fraught with like, like them coming damaged from the factory in Taiwan or something and us losing a bunch of money that way or like the paint being wrong or like it's always something, you know, we've always had to like give, you know, like we've never made a good amount of money off of them. Mm. And so it's, it's I've always been like, well, can you even make money off? Bikes? <laughs> like, it's just completely a passion project. And it's 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 still. It's not, it wouldn't be my number one choice for making money. But that, again, that's never been the, it should be maybe more sometimes. My Like I should look at that stuff a little bit more sometimes, but it's always is like, I want this. I think we can make it work. Um, I, you know, I'll, I'll put it out there. I'll see what kind of interest I can get from potential customers or whatever. And, and, you know, maybe it'll work out great. And even <laughs> if I, even if I break even on it, it's like a legacy thing or something I'll think yeah. of. But I want to make things that are collectible. You know, I want to, I want to, because of how I feel about those, those parts from the nineties and stuff that I put on these bikes and collect yeah. and what I was so tuned into at that time. Like I want to, I want to make something that's people still see useful enough in like 20 years to still ride, you know, and be like, Oh, I got, I'm looking on eBay for, uh, you know, an Illumileth or something. I'm like, yeah, that'd be, be cool. They're still out there and they still ride and they're yeah. still cool bikes. You know, someone will save a magazine with Illumileth. It's a totally different era now because you do have all that yeah. stuff in print that you yeah, control seems option like, four yeah, on control the map. Option four, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Order now control option four. <laughs> It's like we were, it's like we were talking about earlier. I said earlier, I mean, um, yeah, it's just really impressive and it's super cool. Like what you've been able to, to accomplish, you know? Um, and it's, it's been born from following your own passions and following the things that are important to you, the aesthetic that you're looking for, the parts you're looking for and, um, and not compromising over price and, and switching something just to sell somebody something. And it's a direct result of, of that, you know? And so, yeah, I don't know. I Maybe we should all, I don't know. I think there's too many people worried about money too much of the time. Yeah. I think it's, <laughs> you know, I do, I do. I mean, I don't know if that's a business plan. It's not a business. We've never had a business plan. <laughs> we still don't. But uh, it, <laughs> I, I, do, I just wish we lived in a world where more people were pursuing yeah, their passions yeah. and, and doing it for the right reasons. Because when they do, you get... I think better products, you yeah, get more sure. interesting yeah, products, yeah, you, you know, or, right, or right. services or whatever field mm-hmm. you're in, you know? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think it's awesome. I'm a fan. And if I were to say that, well, thank you first off, but yeah, if I were to say that, if I were to tell myself like this advice, like, Oh, this is what's in your cards in the future. When you're a dancer at oil can Harry's, <laughs> uh, I would say, fuck, no, that's not like the kind of work you got to do to like the, people don't buy bikes from a guy like me, you know, <laughs> or, like they want someone way more responsible or no. like, or just like this. You just think you can't do it. But I think, yeah, I guess it's just things happen for a reason in a lot of ways. And you stay in something long enough and consistency. That's the other thing too. Like this is, it's not something that I just had an idea for and started by company like a year ago. Like it's been baking since 1993. Exactly. And so it's, it's just uh, being patient with it. And um, a lot of, and being in the right place at the right time with Instagram was a big thing for me too. It was just, that was, I don't think you could do that now. 
There's a great book by uh, Malcolm Gladwell about it. It's called The Tipping Point. And uh, he talks about exactly that. If you look at Steve Jobs and you know anyone who's ex- successful, they had to have um, a lot of things. They had to have the work ethic and the imagination, and but they also had to be born at the right time. Like Steve Jobs was born, he lived in an area where they had the first ever computer um, at a college and they opened it up. So after high school, he would go in there and tinker on the, you know, and I mean, it's, it's only through like these, these like sliding doors where, you know, things have to kind of line up. But I think what you touched on is something that as I get older, I'm starting to understand better and appreciate better is, is kind of, like I said earlier, like success doesn't happen by accident. You know, I mean, you've, you've been doing this a long time. John Watts is another person I was thinking about, you know, who, who just really followed a passion for the cycling culture and wanting to share those stories from early, early on, um, and, and tell a side of the, the cycling industry that wasn't being captured. I mean, now pros closet bottom out, you know, it's like, holy shit, but it didn't just, he didn't just wake up one day and say, Hey, I'm going to start the rat of this. I'm going to get some consultants in here and all this. He just, he followed his passion for a very, very long time. And, and after a while, things kind of work out, hopefully, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, that's what it is. And, and consistency is the hardest part, really, because yeah. it is just a... It's just, but it, when you're approaching it from a money-making perspective, too, I know John was never looking to make a ton of money off the Radivus. It just happens that way when you're consistent, you know, and, yeah. you, and you're good at what you do. He's, you know, you, over those years, he developed an incredible eye for photography, oh, my. you know? And, and so it's just, you get this thing where people want to, you know, you, you know, you can go on the internet each day and be like, oh, I'm going to go, it's very few websites nowadays, right? You know, you can go on the Radivist and you're going to have something new about bike culture, whatever it is. And so that's a cool, a cool thing to have as a consistent yeah. platform for Absolutely. well over a decade at this point. You know what I'm thinking? In the future, robots are going to have a really fucking hard time emulating you <laughs> good goddamn luck right like you're out of the mold man which is great right that should be everybody's new goal is be, <laughs> be authentic enough that robots are going to have a hard time uh, duplicating you ronnie thank you i, I don't want to take up too much of your time that's fine man. i, I, I uh, enjoy talking to you i i really i really enjoy it i actually um you don't know this, uh, happen, you happen to be coming to Texas and, and save me a trip, but I would, I, I'd like to, if I could sometime, I'd love to come out to Connecticut yeah, and, and see, mm-hmm. you know, see the factories and, and see, see, get the whole vibe and stuff. I, you don't know this, but I was going to contact you and see if I could come out there this year and, and maybe I still might. You uh, should. We've uh, got a big, we, we do our nutmeg nor'easter, which is our big party right. at the end of the, at the, at the peak fall foliage each year out there. Nice. And in the years, We've had, this will be the seventh year we've done it, I guess. And we've had different venues each time. No, no venues sometimes, but we got recently got kicked off the farm that we were doing it at, but we have a brand new venue, which is like this beautiful 250 acre, uh, um, old like scout camp. It's got all these oh, lean twos wow. and everything. And it's set way back. It looks like a hundred years ago. It's such a cool spot. So right yeah, no, October 21st. All right. Yeah. That's see you there. <laughs> 
<laughs> Everybody listening, I'll see you there. Yeah, yeah. People are going to come just because of me. It won't. It actually, th- <laughs> this year, if I go, it's bikes gonna, death. yeah, bikes are definitely going to be there. So <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know if your ego is going to be able to handle that know, much I'll competition. Be like, I can't believe this. Yeah. I thought they liked me. Aria is going to be having to console <laughs> yep. you extra well. Extra well. Yeah, she'll be holding me the whole time. <laughs> I'll, I'll share some of the stage with you. It'll thank be okay. you. Thank you, <laughs> man. It, it's good to catch up. I, I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate you for being you and. Uh, and and giving I love diversity and and I love that we need that you know we don't want to be cyborgs we we need, we need variety it is the spice of life and and you certainly bring your spice to this community and the culture and and it's awesome man so appreciate the time yeah all right thank you uh, Cycle East for letting us use your storage container yeah this has been quite nice this episode is brought to you by Cycle East on the east side of Austin for all your cycling. <laughs> needs an ultra, and they have coffee they an ultra dynamico dealer and they're an ultra dynamico dealer go get yourself some tires buy an alumalith <laughs> alumalith i said it right. yeah you did <laughs> <laughs> all right bye All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. And a major thank you goes out to Ronnie for uh, being willing to come on the show, taking a little time out of his vacation to chat with me. I love this man. He is so much fun to talk to. He's so easy to talk to. He's a great storyteller. Very funny, very witty. Just a great guy. I love the guy, man. He's so much fun to talk to. And it was great catching up. It's been a long time. And I hope the next time we chat is sooner rather than later. Alrighty, folks. Well, listen, if you want to support Ron and all the things that he's got going on, he is a entrepreneur. He's self-employed and he's got a lot of cool stuff going on. So uh, if you want to support him, you can check out his website at ronbikes.com. He also owns a tire company that's Ultra Dynamico. You can also Google that and find his tire company. And there's links to all kinds of good stuff in there. But he makes bags. He makes bars. He makes bikes, tires, anything you need for a bike. He's probably going to have something to do with it. So go show him some love. I'm sure you already are. And if you'd like to show Bikes or Death some love, you can find out more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. And don't forget to support our sponsors for today's episode. Thanks to Old Man Mountain Racks for sponsoring today's episode and Ombra's sunglasses. Remember, use the code BOD20 at checkout and get yourself $20 off a pair of sunglasses. It's a super sweet deal, and you should definitely take advantage of it because when you do, Bikes for Death also gets $20. And if I get $20, then I'm going to go to ronsbikes.com, and I'm going to go shopping. So that's the economic circle that we want happening in the bikepacking, bike touring, and bike community. Let's just keep it all in-house, eh? All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure and I can't wait to be back on the microphone very soon. But until then, you know what to do. Go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. You rode faster than ever before Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength 
as you push further. Every pedal stroke, stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless, your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes, more 